You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Welcome to the Geekiest Show Ever, episode 59. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Older to discuss everything for geeks. Kevin, how have you been this week? I'm doing well. I I guess I'm not your partner in crime this week or whatever, you know? Well, but I'm I, doing I haven't really been out on a crime spree this week. I had a bit of a cold after we recorded the show last week, so that put me out for a couple of days. Then I did something awful to my foot. I don't know. You reckon I broke my foot? I think it's just the tendons. Either way, I've been hobbling around all week. Uh, so Well... If it gets any worse, just saw it off. It'll be fine. It'll heal up and hair over. Yeah, you know, I'm one of these really stubborn guys who refuses medical treatment. Um, I just, I, I don't like needles. I don't like blood. And I've had my experiences of doctors not knowing what they're doing. And, and say, you need to go into hospital and get all these tests done. And then the tests come out negative And they say, there's nothing wrong with you. You're as fit as a fiddle. You could lose a couple of kilos, but there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, so yeah, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of disappointments with, uh, with doctors over the years. And let's just say I, I went through kidney stones without going and seeking medical help. Two to three weeks of throwing up, passing out, and, uh, just thinking I was going to die. And, you know, I, I did it, you know, 1800 style, if you will. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, well, yeah, I, I empathize with you on the kidney stones. I've been there. I'll have to tell you something, though, about a foot. I injured mine, uh, it's been several years ago, I don't remember, like maybe 10 or 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I went to the ER because I about, uh, uh, about went into shock because I, like you, refused to go to the doctor. <laughs> and uh, they took me in. They were doing an X-ray, and they said, okay, well, we need to do another X-ray. I said, okay, fine. So they go to wheel me out. They take the X-ray, and the nurse is bringing me back, and she's uh, – pushing me into the room and she goes to swing me around to let me get up on the table mm-hmm. and she whacks oh. the, the foot that's broken oh. a cabinet and I just go oh, <laughs> oh that would have been absolute agony the ER nurse just goes oh god oh god and the doctor's going oh my lord oh my lord <laughs> and I'm going it's okay Okay. And, and, and you're you're probably wondering where the nearest uh, ambulance chasing lawyer is. <laughs> oh my! It was it was a new experience in pain. I've had other ones like that. That was a that was a new one. But I, oh my! The the doctor about freaked out. I mean, it wasn't just a light whack either. We're talking a solid thump. When she swung me around in the wheelchair, my wife was like, oh, good Lord. Oh, that would have been absolute agony. Yeah, no, I I just try and stay away from medical uh, professionals as much as possible. I respect what they do. A lot of them are very good. Some are not very good. Uh, But at the same time, if I can fix it with, uh, you know, other methods, uh, you know, herbal methods, Chinese medicine methods. You know, I'll, I'll look at everything before I have to do something else. Um, you know, I, I just don't like the idea of, of my body being used as a, a test subject. And that's what I feel I am sometimes. But anyway, if you're like me, you get queasy with the sight of blood and, and uh, queasy with pain and stuff like that. We better move on, Kevin, before I start to, to uh, you know, pass yeah. out and my head hits the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to I don't want to hear a loud thud, you know. 10,000 miles away and then worry about, oh, God, what do I do now? <laughs> yes, yeah, so then, then you need to continue on the show without me, and that just... Uh, that would hard, be impossible. That would be hard to do. <laughs> yes, and, and it would co- be. And, of course, I value myself far too highly saying that. 
Well, you know the old saying, my friend, how indispensable someone is, and I take this to heart for myself. <laughs> Fill a glass with water, stick your finger in the glass, in the water, remove your finger. The size of the hole that your finger leaves in the water is how indispensable you are to anything. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. That's for sure. It's certainly different. <laughs> and it's very true. Now, um, you know what, Kevin? We've got an email address. Tim actually gave us an email address. And you know what? I'm so proud because Tim's never given me an email address before. He just says, oh, no, just use your normal help at Everyday Mac support email address. He actually gave us one. That's a MyMac one. So, you know. I've, Thank I, you, Tim. I, I think we're pretty, uh, pretty special there. So now you can email for that person that called us sissies last week. You can email us at GSE at mymac.com so uh, that's a little bit easier than help at everydaymacsupport.com and certainly we'll uh, reply to any emails that we get in and um, you know if you want to send an audio clip and and tell us that we're crazy we're nuts we don't know what we're talking about please do we'll play it on the show and uh, you know we'll we'll, we'll give some retaliation it'll be (laughs) nice though don't worry about it and and, you know Sorry, I was going to say, Mark, you know about uh, speaking of feedback, uh, I know you and I would both like to extend a big thank you to uh, Mike McPeak for giving us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Mike wrote, Mark and Kevin cover a range of material from news to rants. Admittedly, I'm mainly the rant person. Uh, to Big Ben <laughs> Theory to Legos as well as other stuff also. Done in a light and interesting manner, it will entertain a person. A good podcast to throw in between your more serious listening to mix things up a bit. So absolutely fantastic, and uh, we really, really appreciate that. And if anyone else would like to to leave feedback in iTunes, we will certainly uh, read it on the show. And uh, look, even leave bad feedback. You know, that, that was glowing feedback by Mike, and we truly appreciate it. Uh, but if you've, you know, if you've got something to say, don't hold back. We're not, we're not scared. Any feedback is good feedback. And if we feel that we're missing the point somewhere, we, we might actually change the direction of the show. And speaking of which, I had a, another couple of, of chats and, and so forth to a few different people this week, Kevin. And uh, one thing that was, was brought up by someone who we won't mention again was um, <laughs> that, that he prefers the topics that aren't directly computer-related, aren't directly tech-related. Like, he, he likes the tech stuff, but not the necessarily the computer stuff. So more the, the geeky stuff in general, like the geeky topics and so forth. So I, I think this show, we're, we're going to stay off that for a bit. But uh, certainly, you know, as geeks, I, I think computers play a, a pretty big role in, uh, in our experiences and how we experience some of the geek culture. So... Uh, you know, I, I think that person who we will not name. Um, yes, thank you for your opinion, but <laughs> we'll do our he, own thing anyway. <laughs> he who shall he he who shall remain nameless is did how they we do will. That in Harry Potter, what do they call Lord Voldemort? Um, I'm, I'm sure. It was oh, I don't. I've only seen bits and name. pieces of that. I've only seen bits and pieces of those, and I haven't read those books. So, <gasps> oh my God, Kevin, we're going to have to edit that out. You're, you're going to be ousted as you know, not a geek anymore. 
Hey, I don't, I don't have to read them. My my oldest child has been summarizing them all for me. So <laughs> it's it's like having an audio book. I don't need to read the things. I just get. And then uh, now she's on to reading um, uh, the Hunger Games or whatever that whole trilogy is. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I haven't that, caught up with that yet either. I mean, you know, you know, there's so much stuff out there. There's literally, you know big big name series that i haven't even seen yet that it's like you know heroes is one and that's you know fairly geek driven in in some ways i know a lot of you know people who uh you know play in the geek culture world they they like things like heroes and it's like yeah okay it's you know five years old now or so and i still haven't seen it but there's just so much content out there and then you tend to re-watch the content you've got if we're talking TV shows or you re-read the same content because you enjoy it. Um, and it, it's really interesting to actually go do this show and actually say, oh, you know what? I forgot, but I've completely missed out on watching this or entertaining myself with this line of book or this series. Um, and it, it's actually great fun for me because I get to go back in and, you know, I, I want to always come with an interesting topic for each show and sort of make that as maybe the key topic. And uh, it allows me to then justify, you know, saying to my wife, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and rent a movie this week or I'm going to go and buy a new <laughs> book or I'm going to go and buy this TV series because then I can talk to Kevin about it on the geekiest show ever. And, um, yeah, she, she sort of rolls the eyes, but she, she lets me do it anyway. She's pretty flexible. Well, you know, when it comes to reading, I I read such a specific genre most of the time. It's such a small niche that, you know, most people have given up trying to get me books for the most part. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it does get that way. I'm, I'm very much into uh, historical uh, books, accurate historical fact books. I'm also into biographies. Um, but I, I steer away from, say, for instance, the Star Wars lines of books um, or, or the sci-fi lines of books. If I want to consume sci-fi and fantasy, I tend to prefer doing that in a visual uh, way. So I'll tend to uh, watch movies or TV shows to get that kind of content. Um, I find my mind just doesn't read the book as well as my mind consumes the visual information uh, for those topic ranges. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. The well, you know, it's funny you mentioned history. A lot of the books that I read, at least the last, I don't know, five six years that I've been reading, are alternate history books. Ooh, that's it's, interesting. They take one specific point in history, flip it, yep. and then go forward. Um, Ooh, I a matter that. of fact, a matter of fact, I read a twelve series book, twelve book series, twelve series book that really made a lot of sense. Um, but I read a 12 book series, uh, by a guy named Harry Turtledove, uh, that presupposes a one single event that did not, that hap- that didn't happen during the American civil war and switched things around. And then it takes history from there all the way up through a timeline that ends with, uh, world war two and how the power world powers would have been different and, all these wild things that are just extraordinary, and uh, it really, it just enthralled me. They just I absolutely like enthralled me. Hey, Kevin, can yeah. you put a, a list of some of the best together? Because I'd, I'd like to add them to the show notes, but more specifically, I'd like to add them to my own list of, of interesting items. Um, 
to pick up and read because that that kind of stuff to to wonder about is always very cool you know do we have multiple dimensions of existence are we actually one person in multiple dimensions and whilst there's an element of sci-fi also i believe there's an element of of actual science in there that sort of claims that it is possible that we do live in different existences if you will in different dimensions as i feel sorry for the poor bastard that's the other me somewhere that's all i got <laughs> you know I, I i just hope that the other me is like this really cool rock star who gets up on stage and 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 can actually perform and and you know play a great you know rock tune you know it's um I, I, hopefully all of the other versions of me are better <laughs> see, see, you know, now, now I'm picturing the other version of you as somebody like David Lee Roth. Yep, yep. I, I could definitely go down that track. Is that, that's, that's, so from here on out, for all our listeners, if you don't know who that is, and I would be surprised if you didn't, just picture Mark as David Lee Roth every time you listen to the show, and we'll just go <laughs> with that as a, as, and, as a thing. And boy, wouldn't it be good to... Uh, to have a little bit of his music as the the intro to this show, boy, when we get sued <laughs> out of existence, but it'd be fun. <laughs> That's true. Now speaking, of, we'll, we'll just move on, and, and you know what? We're, we're not going to ignore the the multiple dimension topic. I, I want to do some more research in it, but into it before uh, we actually talk about it in depth, and we might have pretty much a whole show on on alternate dimensions and alternate realities and reference everything from modern media to, you know, our thoughts to what is the scientific belief. So, um, you know, stay tuned for that one. We'll, we'll definitely elaborate on it more because it's one of those interesting things. I'm always, I'm reading a book at the moment uh, called, uh, and it's not really relating to alternate reality, but it, it's relating to lost societies and it's called Fingerprints of the Gods and it's by Graham Hancock. And he was the, this book was actually the uh, vision behind the, the movie 10,000, which I think is just an absolutely superb movie. Uh, many people flaunted and, and, you know, absolutely hated, and many people criticized Graham Hancock and his views. But bottom line is it makes you think, and it makes you think about how pyramids were built, how, uh, you know, previous cultures may have existed. And there's certainly a lot to say that there's more cultures that existed on Earth uh, that we don't know about, that aren't in the mass-produced history books in the encyclopedias. And it's certainly a, a very good book and, and one that's uh, worth a read. And you know what? I'm, I'm Kevin, excuse me for a minute. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent and just mention one other book which is completely unrelated. But this is a book by David Grealish. Now, David, um, he, d he does a competing show to mine, uh, but it's not competing. It's, it's actually competing in, in terminology. He does not another Apple podcast. I do not another Mac podcast. So it's not a competition, but, you know, he, he does a very good show. And uh, basically his show is all about uh, taking a look at what Apple's releasing today and reference it with what computers were released in the past and, and sort of comparing them and comparing, uh, you know, where the technology is up to and, and perhaps looking forward and seeing where it could go. Anyway, that's that's different to what I want to explain. He uh, he wrote a book and, and published a book, and it was actually not a, a book to begin with. It was a series of uh, 
zines, magazines uh, that he released in the 90s, and it was called Historically Brewed. And so he compiled it into a book, and uh, if you want to hear more about it, uh, go across to uh, his website, which is classiccomputing.com, uh, or go across to Not the Mac podcast, and I actually did an interview with him, and he was kind enough to, to send me a, uh, a first edition copy that's actually signed, which uh, is a, a prized possession now, and it was such a brilliant read, and I know that I wasn't going to really talk about computers too much, but if you are a geek in any way, shape, or form, this will just reinvigorate your love for classic computers. If you love the history of it, you're going to love this book. It's still, it still it reads today like a current history book would be if it was written today, even though it was written back in the 90s. And it's just absolutely superb. I'll put a link to the show notes. Uh, just go and, and check it out. It's, it's I believe, twenty six ninety five free shipping within the US. Just absolutely superb. You've really got to get a copy of that book. Um, if you're a fan of technology, computers, and geekery, trust me, that is absolutely brilliant. You'll love it. And they don't just talk about the Mac. You know, David is a, a Mac fan, but it, they talk about absolutely every single possible computer made. And, um, you know, just some really good information in there. So, anyway, sorry to go off on a tangent, Kevin, but I no. just uh, we got into the book topic, and I just want to explain uh, a couple of books that I'm reading at the moment. And um, that, yeah. That's no problem. I think I might have to take a look at that myself. It sounds really interesting. I love that sort of stuff. That's that just totally fascinates me when you get into technology or geeky things like that around it. Uh, even though we might be called sissies by people, that we really like. I love to read that. I've read a couple historical, or not historical, I guess, uh, histories of things, and and um, I'm trying to think of that last one I read. It's been a few years ago. It was damn. That's gonna piss me off now that I can't. Oh, it was. Uh, uh, Bill Gates, the business at the speed of light. Yes, I've where read it talked, that book. where you know, where it talked about how business used to be done and how business is being done now, and all that sort of stuff. It's a great book. It's a really interesting read, and, and it's um, still relevant today too. It's not, uh, you know, he missed the 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 point on some of the future visions that he had. Um, you know, obviously Microsoft had you know, certain views of what the future would be. Bill Gates had certain views of what the future would be, and they did change, you know. They tried, they they demoed some of the technologies, but it just didn't didn't sort of uh, grip on. But that book is is a great read. And it, what I love about it is these types of books take you back to what I call the... I don't really call it anything. I don't know why I'd use that terminology, but... It was a good time to be a computer user. It was entertaining. It was interesting. You know, that was back in the days when an extra 30 megahertz of processing power was the latest and greatest and the most advanced you could possibly get. And, you know... Oh, I remember that. And that was that was a great time to experience. I feel sorry for my kids. They, they use an iPad, they use a computer, and they, they don't have any appreciation of this. And it's, it's books like this that you know, are going to keep that alive and and keep that in everyone's mind. And I hope moving forward that, you know, I can get my kids into the history of computers and understanding 
just what it was like to to be a computer user before computers became toasters and and became yes. so mainstream that they do this job and you don't need to think about statistics of, of processor speed and and the makeup of them and everything like that you just turn it on you use it and you get something done it's very cool where we are now it's going to be very cool where we go in the future but i always love looking back at the past and seeing what was done in the past there's just something special about it something that you know, I, I can't express in words the feeling that I personally get from going back and actually reading about historical computers or anything historical, really. Um, and I suppose that if I had to label it as something, it would be a pride in mankind that, you know, we created this, not me, of course, but, you know, uh, very smart <laughs> people in the past created uh, this technology that led to what we have today and what we'll have tomorrow. And um, it's just very special. It's just got that very emotional charge behind it, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, history, history has always been a fascination for me, whether it be related to technology or anything. Um, I just adore history. I always absorbed it like a sponge. Um, although I don't look like SpongeBob, I did absorb it like a sponge. <laughs> And uh, truly enjoyed it and excelled at it in school. Um, yeah, so like, and, likewise, I, I did as well. And you know what, Kevin, I, I think I enjoy looking in the past and looking into the future more than I do enjoying the present. And I wonder if I actually miss out on <laughs> a lot of what's happening in day-to-day life because I'm always looking at what's going to happen in five years' time. I'm always thinking about that, you know, Um and I'm always looking at what happened in the past and leading up to current day, but I never really think, you know, today is a good day, you know, and, and wow, look at this and look at that sunset I'm seeing today, that sunrise. I don't know, do you think I'm missing out on stuff by by looking at the two polar opposites? Yeah, I'm a little bit the same way. I, you know, sometimes you're focused, I, I focused a little bit more on the past and dream of the future, I'll say, mm-hmm. that I think I do tend to sometimes miss what's going on right around me and, and not appreciate it as much as I probably could. But, you know, it's the way we're wired. I don't know that there's anything we can do dramatically about it. Um, uh, and, and, you know, speaking of being wired, you, you're going to find this, this quite funny. Would you believe that I'm actually rather antisocial? No, not you. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. You know, it's really interesting because I find it very, very difficult to discuss topics with people who don't share similar interests. Now, you know, I don't always talk about technology. Uh, you know that, Kevin. We, we can talk about anything from what's happening in our family lives <laughs> to, you know, a busted foot to you know, whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be tech or, or, you know, fantasy world based or geek based. It can just be anything. But where I struggled, I, I noticed this year when, uh, you know, I'd drop off my daughter to school and then I'd pick her up and I'd have to start conversing with other parents. And oh boy, that was um, challenging, you know, and it still is. And I get frightened by it i get anxious by it it's like um (laughs) they talk about stuff that you know it's just like 
you know, they, they talk about, you know, we're having Easter holidays down here and some of them were talking about camping. It's like, yeah, I, I don't do camping and I'm not interested in camping. I, I have a phobia of spiders, as I think I've mentioned in the past. Although it's getting better. I'm, I'm getting better because I've started taking pictures of spiders. And I actually have spiders as the background on my Mac and on my iPhone so that I see them all the time. So I'm I'm starting to learn to not be as afraid of them. So I'm, I'm beating the fear factor with, you know being just overexposed to it. Um, but I, I find it really, really hard to talk to people about just life in general. You know, these people have iPhones and or Android phones, and they love Facebook. Number one, I hate Facebook, so there's not a topic you know of I conversation. Do too. Um, yeah. And, well, you know what? It was actually funny. I recorded Not Another Mac podcast earlier, and everyone on the panel said, absolute hate facebook and it's like okay well you know we, we've got the topic we we hate facebook but you know there's no one to to even up you know the argument with us um but th- their views and their ideas are just extremely different to mine they live a, a different style life and that's not to say their life is bad i'm not judging them in in any stretch of their imagination we all live different lives even geeks um you know we all live differently and the way we choose to to live is is our own prerogative to do so but it's just interesting that i feel very anti-social and not accepted by by a social community because i i'm very focused in what i'm interested in um you know, I think it's a tendency when you when you come to the self-realization that you're a geek, you do partially subscribe to being a little bit antisocial. I, I don't think it's you know it, it's in our makeup that way. I don't I don't know what kind of makeup you wear, whether it's Maybelline or whatever kind it is, but <laughs> just just a little bit of lip gloss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shiny lips! I like the watermelon flavor. It, with, anyway, with the sparklies. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, But I think it's in our nature because, I mean, I work in a corporate IT department. And it's funny, you know, we're really good at socializing amongst ourselves. But when we get outside of our group, you know, it's, it's harder for us to socialize because we don't have a lot of the same interests if they aren't the company's current focus or you know, current project. I, you know, I don't know how to say it. It's, you know, but I think it's just part of our makeup is being that. And I, I understand the antisocial thing. I've had to come out. Uh, and I don't mean out of the closet. I've had to come out and really learn to be more social in what I do because of the way my job currently works. So I can understand your pain. I've, I'm more or less the type of guy that would rather sit here in the basement, play with my computer or play with, you know, the kids or something like that and just kind of be isolated, much like I think yourself. Absolutely. You know, I can be inside my house and enjoy the family and love the family and spend time with the family. And anyone outside, I don't really care about that much. I'm very centered on what's happening under my own roof. And, um, you know, as, as a result, I probably isolate myself a little bit too much. But... It, it's less complicated that way. I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. I don't have to grin and bear it. Um, and, you know, Gretel's got some some lovely friends. But unfortunately, I just don't agree with their lifestyle or 
you know, the way they choose to live their life or conduct themselves or, you know, whatever it may be, it's, it's just different than what I like. And because I'm very opinionated, you wouldn't know that, and of course, Kevin, you know, I don't put no, my No, I've never known you. Know. Um, no. <laughs> but, you know, I, I sort of, it gets to the stage where, you know, she feels a little bit isolated and I turn around and say, to her, well, you know, listen, you go and do what you like. That That's cool. But, you know, just don't include me. Can I just stay at home? You know, I just want to stay at home, leave me at home. You know, let me just do whatever I want to do. And I don't know, maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't know if any women listening to the show would, you know, say, well, we do that too. Um, you know, I'm not the type of guy who will go to a, a pub and have a drink with someone else at the bar. I've tried that. I didn't like it. So I never did it again. Um, you know, I'd prefer to... I, tr- I tried it, but I don't remember guys. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were that antisocial that you, uh, you became the uh, the star of the party by drinking a bit too much. Yeah, I had some. Yeah, we won't go into that. I had some stories told to me about some stuff I did as a young person. That um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's no fun waking up someplace and not remembering how you got there. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, and, and certainly from my standpoint, I'm also a control freak. So I cannot stand to be out of control of my body or where I am or, or my brain or anything like that. So I don't and have never got to that stage with alcohol specifically um, of, you know, being too drunk to remember where I've got to go or anything like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, the control freak in me is actually good because it's, it's kept me away from a lot of things over the years. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I thought I'd just bring up that... I, I'm antisocial. You wouldn't know with, you know, all the stuff I do online, all the shows I do, all the people I talk to, uh, but I feel very uncomfortable uh, around people who I don't know or don't share similar interests with. And uh, well, you, maybe I'm just you shy. Know, I, well, I think maybe instead of antisocial, we'll call, your, we'll call you market-specific. You like to market yourself right to a certain group of people. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me, actually. And uh, I'm sure those same people like to market themselves in the same way. So, uh, <laughs> and, and look, you know, even within our own group of friends that we've got, um, you know, you'd know as well that uh, the views change and our interests change and what one may be interested in, the other isn't. But there's just this this constant underlying understanding that, you know, uh, you are this certain person with these kinds of interests. Um, you know, you can always argue <laughs> what those interests are and whether or not yours are better than the next person, but it's always entertaining. Anyway, yep. we'll, we'll move on from that topic because we've got a lot to discuss today. And you know what? One of the things that I get to do for this show is I get to watch movies that i haven't seen or haven't seen for a while and um you know kevin kevin put me on the the spot with uh office space which i hadn't <laughs> seen so i i had to watch it just to to get one up on him which i think i did i think i i worked that out okay uh but i i recently um tim robertson who's uh owner of uh my mac and and geekiest show ever and and the stoplight network which we're a part of um he uh he saw Planet of the Apes, 2011, or I should say Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, 2011. Um, now, he thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I thought, okay, you know, if he says it's a, it's, it's a good movie, it's got to be pretty good. And then the uh, the other person who shall not be named 
also said <laughs> it was a brilliant movie. Um, now, so when I get two people that I respect and, you know, value their opinion of, I think, okay, this is going to be a pretty good movie. I hired it, watched it through the first time, mixed emotions, watched it through a second time. And then I came up with a few topics that I thought I should discuss. I don't feel that in its current form, it has the Planet of the Apes franchise feel about it. Um, if you look at the previous, and I, I know it's a reboot, people are, are yelling at, at their device at the moment saying, but it's a, it's a reboot, it's a reimagination, and I understand that. But at the same time, Star Trek did a much better reimagination in 2009. You know, that movie is epic. It's moving. Oh, God, I love that movie. Oh, so do I. I almost, um, almost bought a, another collector's edition of it yesterday, but <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> do, do you have, you got to get the collector's edition in the Enterprise. It's, the case is the Enterprise. See, we don't have that one out here in Australia, which really sucks. We, we, we only have different covers and slip cases. I don't know. That it sucks to be you, dude. I, I know. Why do I have to be an Australian? Yeah, you know, <laughs> when we don't get the cool stuff, I want to be a self <laughs> a self proclaimed American. That's what I want because you guys get all the cool stuff. We never get any of the cool stuff. It sucks. Anyway, <laughs> that, yeah, that's boy. going away from from the rise of the Planet of the Apes movie. Now, I'm a, a big Planet of the Apes franchise fan. I love the franchise. And yes, I know some of the, the TV episodes were just corny and especially some of the movies when you get on to like, you know, the third, fourth and fifth movies are just, yeah, a little bit uh, corny and cliche and they sh- and they really date themselves. But, you know, my, my three favorite, well, my two favorites, I should say, are the uh, very first one, the original 1968 Planet of the Apes and the 2001 edition. Now, you'll notice in the original and the 2001 edition, that the apes were automatically intelligent. You know, they were already there, they were already speaking, they were already, uh, you know, ruling, if you will, their society. Uh, this one's a little bit different. It, it basically shows how, through a series of scientific testing for a cure for Alzheimer's and other ailments, that they were able to, you know, make a mistake and, and one ape became, you know, extraordinarily intelligent and, and this chemical that they were, were testing, you know, actually made the, the ape become intelligent and have a intelligence. Um, and then it, it sort of goes on from there. Now, the biggest problem I had with it is the, the guy who played the main actor, uh, which is James Franco. Now, if anyone loves the Spider-Man movies one through to three, you'll know that James Franco played the, act, uh, played the character Harry Osborn slash the New Goblin. Now, he did a fantastic role in that very believable role. Unfortunately, my opinion is that... He takes the Harry Osborne role and applies it to Planet of the Apes because it's the same kind of character, you know. Um, you know, he, he's working in, in scientific experimentation, and I just felt he was very typecast into that role. And I felt his role in that for anyone who's seen Spider Man, you you would have been looking at the movie going, 
Oh, yeah, that's Harry Osborne. That's the new Goblin. You know, are we get, when, when's Spidey going to come out of the closet? You know, <laughs> and that that disappointed me. It was it was a shame to have that that there. And he, look, he's a fantastic actor. He's a young actor. He's a really good actor. But I, I was disappointed by that. I was I felt let down that he was typecast into that role. Um, and look, maybe people disagree with me, but um, seriously, it was very similar similar roles. Um, for that side of the fence, which I, I didn't like. Now, John Lithgow was in it, and I've been a John Lithgow fan for a number of years. And uh, yeah, I, I th- have th- to agree, he's th- a good actor. Third Rock from uh, what? What? Third Rock from the Sun is that the the name of the yes. show? Did Kevin? That yep. was just funny. I love that show. I don't own it, unfortunately. It's one of those things that I've got to go and find and now try and purchase because uh, it was just a, a funny original show, especially at the time. And um, he's just a brilliant actor, and he did a, a great performance um, in in the movie. So um, he, he, I have no problem with, and and certainly the other actors and the apes were actually acted with actors with um, basically motion detection all over them, and then every facial movement was picked up and put into the character through CGI, and they looked fantastic. It was just great. It was like. You know, you go back to the 2001 movie, which was the latest one to have been done before this one, and you can see, yeah, okay, there's makeup effects there. They look good, but you could still tell that they were they were fake. This movie, I gotta I gotta give them credit for that. The apes looked wonderful. They just looked absolutely superb. Looked real. I couldn't flaw the special effects in that instance. Now, the story overall is is pretty good. It, it's an excellent story. And if you haven't seen any of the Planet of the Apes, and if you haven't, you shouldn't be listening to this show. But, you know, <laughs> we won't go there because we'll probably isolate a few listeners. But seriously, if you haven't, go and check out the original 68 movie, then the 2001 movie. They're the two best, in my opinion. And if you really like the 68 movie, follow it through with the other four movies and then see the TV series uh, because they, they were really, really good. And especially for the time, you'll just love them. Um but if you had never seen a Planet of the Apes movie before in the franchise, you would love this movie. And I'm serious about that because it does have a great story. But the problem with the story, too, is it tended to go a little bit too slow. So there was a lot of the human factor before the ape then became intelligent and then the ape grew up and, and, and got more intelligent. And then before the apes rose, hence the title rise of the planet of the apes, um, you know, and they of course rise and I'm not going to go into extreme detail because I could tell you the whole story, but it's just better if you go and watch it yourself, but you know, they rise and then they create havoc and chaos in the city of San Francisco and they go to the zoo and then they let out all their brothers brothers that have been held in the zoo and everything. It's all it's all lovely and nice and everything. And the whole action sequences are pretty much in the second half of the movie. You could almost watch just the second half of the movie and still get the whole storyline. And then they go across the Golden Gate Bridge and create havoc and chaos and and you know the police are there shooting at them and you know and then they use some trickery and get past them and then towards the end of the movie they they go to this wildlife sanctuary i guess you'd call it or maybe just call it a forest and they just climb the trees and then they look over the san francisco bay area and seriously 
it reminded me of the first movie in the Lord of the Rings series. It's like, okay, I know you're leading into the second movie, but boy, if you never make another movie to follow this on, this is going to be pathetic. Um, and you know what I, I, I think is really the, the biggest problem with the movie? I didn't what? feel emotionally attached to either the humans or the apes. And that's the first time ever in a Planet of the Apes movie that I haven't felt like wanting to, yes, the apes have to win, or yes, the humans have to win. The humans have to survive. They have to regain control and overturn the ape uh, you know, um, culture. And this right. was the first movie that I didn't feel emotionally attached to the character of the ape or the character of the human. And, I, you know, this is why I watched it two times back to back because after the first time I was really confused and I'm thinking, you know, I, hold on a second. If I hit my head wrongly here, I love ape movies. And I just, I got it. The story was great, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. It just wasn't gelling. And... You know, I, I watched it a second time, and I had the same thing. I didn't have any emotions. I didn't have any, you know, edge-of-the-suit excitement. I didn't have, you know, the hair sticking up on the back of my neck. And the last scene where they climb the trees before the credits roll, and you just see three of the apes up there, that should have... Visually, it's an epic scene, and it should have had an epic soundtrack. And I think... What the movie makers failed to do with this movie, which disappointed me, was create an epic soundtrack. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Michael Bay's Transformers movies, is because his classical score that he brings into that, um, you know, it, it it creates an emotion, a drive. It, it gives you that edge of the suit excitement that you can run with throughout the movie. You know when something's going to happen when you hear you know, certain keys that have been presented. And this just didn't have that. And it was it was lacking. And, you know, just to reference back to the, the Star Trek reboot from 2009, that had an epic score behind it. And in my opinion, anyway, 50% of the movie is the soundtrack. And, you know, yes, some people will say, well, it, it dates it if you put pop music or something in it, which it certainly does. But in many sci-fi fantasy movies, there's that just that epic cinematic uh, orchestra music that plays in the background that just throws so much emotion into the film that you then oh, become emotionally attached to the characters, the story, you know, and it has that. And this movie didn't have that for me. And it had a score in there. It wasn't like there was no sound, no noise. It did have a score. But it just, to me, didn't feel inspiring. It didn't feel... Their, their victory, the apes climbing the trees, it didn't feel like it was a victory. It didn't have that that deepness in it that really said, yes, they, they got out, they won, I'm looking forward to the next movie. And I think that was really the biggest disappointment is that there was just no true emotional feelings within that movie. And, um, you know, so for me, will I add it to my, my Planet of the Apes franchise? Well, probably not, I'd say. Probably because I love the original movies and I'll probably make it a higher movie. I'll probably turn around and when I feel like seeing it again, I'll probably hire it versus owning it. But, you know, I'm hoping that the second movie that they're, they're uh, looking at making, I hope it comes out and really convinces me otherwise. And, you know, 
and, and sort of makes the first movie feel more substantial than it is. I, I know what you're talking about with the music because, I mean, think about some of the great geek or sci-fi movies, uh, Star Wars. You know, you hear that, you, you connect with it. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Um, if, you, if you didn't Jurassic have that Park. in there. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, just just the whole scene that, that moves you through their arrival, um, you know, in Jurassic Park um, to the island and, and then their first initial, you know, drive through, you know, that they can oh. do without everything. They can just have this epic score that just takes you into that world and sucks you in. And you know what, Kevin, I was actually talking to the person who we will not name uh, about this on Twitter. And he said, oh, you know, I thought it was great. I, I don't really listen to the music. I don't really care for the music in, in movies. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I can understand that. But I feel personally that you're missing out on so much if you don't have just that, that, cinematic and you know i had my five to one uh, 5.1 surround sound system blaring through the planet of the apes movie and it disappointed me there was nothing there you know know, nothing that hit me and it's very rare for a movie like a triple a title like this was for it not to be emotionally engaging for me well you know i think the to me the music I'm, I'm, I don't want to side too much with the uh, man, uh, the person who we shall not speak of. But um, to me, the music is important, like you say. But I also think it has to be combined in just the right way so that I don't realize that it's adding so much to my experience. It needs to be to- – the uh, Jurassic Park is one of the very best examples of that. Yep. The music – I even own the soundtrack to that movie. It's on my iPod. I carry that around with me because it's it's a great uh, it's a great uh, album. Mm-hmm. But it it was done so well that I didn't realize how much I connected to the movie via the soundtrack. I heard the soundtrack. It evoked an emotion, but it was then it kind of slid to the background. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has to mix really well, otherwise. It may be the same thing like you're talking about with Rise of the Planet of the Apes. If it doesn't mix in well or it doesn't match the cinematic experience in an appropriate way, then music can also screw a movie and screw it really badly. Oh, definitely. And certainly if you look at movie genres, there's certainly a a style that's applied to sci-fi fantasy, then a style that's applied to action and then horror movies, then drama, then romantic movies. You know, you, you can see the difference and feel the difference. And if it's done really well within the genre, it makes the movie. If it's done badly or if it's even overdone, it can then destroy the movie too. Um, and Jurassic Park, I agree with you, is just one of those that just got the mix absolutely perfect. And there's actually, a, they're working on uh, Jurassic Park 4 now. Which is, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know what? I like the, I love the first movie. Second yep. movie was also pretty good. Third movie, I wanted it to be good, but it was, it was a B version of Jurassic Park. Now the, the, is the third one the one where the kid gets they, Lost. they they're yep yep okay. Now see, I actually like that one better, and I like the second one. That's interesting. 
I, I think yeah. that see the second one was a little bit darker, I guess, and a little bit moodier. Now I, I haven't I must admit I've seen the first one recently, but I haven't watched the second one in, in quite a long time, possibly longer than a year now. And um but the second one was more night driven. Uh it was a lot darker from memory. First one was very bright and open and, and many things were done in daytime. Uh, many scenes, I should say, were done in daytime, whereas the second movie, a lot more was done in night and sort of the creeping up on you and the not knowing and what's this shadow and, and so forth and getting that fear factor going. Then the fourth one was, you know, pretty much a mix of everything. It did have some good actors in it, though. Um, some new actors to the, the franchise. Um, but, you know, I like it and I watch it, but it, it's not necessarily my favorite version of it um of the franchise i just hope that they do a really good you know fourth version of it and certainly i, I believe steven spielberg is signed back on uh, so with him at the helm it should be good um it's never a guarantee he's, he's you know had some doozies in his time as well <laughs> um although it's, it, the best movie that he's ever done in my opinion was his very first one jewel I absolutely love that movie. It's, um, you know, literally just the, the acting and then the, then the truck coming to life is um, just mind-blowing. It's an emotional roller coaster ride. You know, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. You've got fear running through you because you know what you'd be like if you were the character in the car and this truck just kept wanting to come after you and so forth. So um, absolutely superb. I don't know if you've seen that one, Kevin, but if you haven't, try and get a copy exceptional movie making i've seen bits of that one i have not seen the whole movie so i will have to check that out yeah just absolutely exceptional just brilliant and you know speaking of movies i i put this in the show notes and i wanted you to uh be prepared i made a purchase this week that i have told you nothing about no i know what did you buy what did you buy i like when people buy stuff because i get to sort of vicariously lived through you so <laughs> what, what's your latest and greatest well i i saw the advertisement come through and i succumbed to the marketing and i bought on sale the dvd version of the movie kenny ah. that we discussed <laughs> like what three week three episodes ago i think it was on sale for four Four eighty eight US, I believe, or something like well, that. That's it was cheap. <laughs> it was way out, less out, than out, five out here bucks. Would be paying like twenty bucks. <laughs> like, and a, it was a cheap free DVD shipping. out here is ten dollars. So and it was and it was free shipping on top of it. Oh, fantastic! So I, you know, after we talked, I watched some of the clips that you can see on YouTube, and you and I had a conversation online about that and. Now I've got it. My family wanted to know, what's the movie? What's the movie? And I told them, they said, what's it about? I said, a guy who deals with portable toilets. And they went, what? <laughs> yeah, but you have to watch it. I, I, I mean, that, seriously, when I first heard about that movie, it was like, really? I want to watch. Oh, I don't want to watch that. But when you watch it, you just absolutely fall in love with it. And you laugh hysterically all the way through it. It's just great. The, the only bad thing I can say, and I haven't watched it yet. I might watch it tonight or tomorrow. Um, the only bad thing I can say is on the cover it says 
it, there's a review or, you know, how they quote somebody on the covers, you know, the most hilarious movie I've ever seen or whatever. There's a quote from somebody that I absolutely detest in Hollywood, um, Michael Moore, who I think oh, is really? the, that's interesting. I think now, he's the, the biggest load of crap and piece of you know what that ever walked the face of the planet. Huh. But you, 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 just quickly before before you do uh, quote his quote, um, you know I, I don't disagree with you there, but also I don't share the opinion. I think he's an interesting filmmaker. I think he opens up discussions and and possible problems that exist. Uh, whether or not he's effective is another question, but um, it's interesting to, to see that you've got that much hatred against him, um, oh, whereas, makes whereas the, I don't. Um, he but, makes the bile rise in my throat. <laughs> but, well, you know, in saying that too, you know, you're living in the world that he's criticising somewhat, whereas I'm not living in that world. I'm looking, you know, someone looking in. Um so I, I, of course, accept what he pumps out to, you know, in a different way. Well, it's not so much, and I don't want to go down too far of rat hole, um, but I'm, first of all, I'm looking forward to watching the movie despite that. Um, but he now, just, what, what was his quote, though? Um, let me get the cover here. It says, Kenny is the funniest film I've seen this year. Oscar winning filmmaker Michael Moore. So, it, I mean, that's it, all it's... It is funny, but I can understand if you detest the guy, you'll think, oh, great, what's this movie like? You know what, Kevin? Get get a, get a little sticker and, and put the sticker over that section. <laughs> uh, I'll take a black magic marker and color it out. I don't... You know, it's... it's yeah, again, I, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox because this would turn into a four-hour show if I ran it against how much I... I just absolutely detest that man. He is... He is... He, I don't say that he shouldn't provoke thoughts, but I think he does it for sensationalism, mm-hmm. not to further the human spirit or the human good. And that's, I just think he's a cheap showboat. He's what, uh, he's the carpetbagger of the modern age. He's the flim flam man. He's the stuff that doesn't float after you go to the bathroom. He's whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> I, I just can't stand the guy. You know, and, th- and that's interesting. And, and you know what? You're not alone because a lot of people can't stand him. What What do you think of Morgan Spurlock, though? Because he's uh, very much the same kind of filmmaker, uh, you know, on, on the side of controversy. I don't... Uh, name a couple of his movies because I can't uh, bring Super anything... Size Me is probably the best one where he ate McDonald's for an entire month and, and oh. measured the... Um, the sort of view. Um, he also did a, a TV series, and I'm trying to think what it is now. Um, and I, I honestly can't remember the name of it, but I remember that he he took on the role of someone who was living on minimal wage and could you actually survive and survive on minimal wage. And it was interesting, but I also felt that anyone who is on minimal wage would have found it insulting. Um, you know, because there was still always the, the knowledge that, you know, this guy is not living on minimal wage. He may have one day, I don't know his personal situation, but he's very wealthy now due to the films he's made. Uh, so when someone turns around and actually, you know, wants to go and and live 
as someone who's just struggling to get by. I, I feel that's a little bit insulting. Um, yeah, I I know the movies. I haven't seen them personally. I know which ones you're talking about in the show. Um, I I don't I don't know them. So, it, but if he's along that same line, then yeah, he might be an asshole too. Yeah. Um, it's, certainly, it does bring topics. Uh, uh, of interest out there because you know minimum wage worldwide not a, only in the u.s or australia but worldwide it's an issue um you know oh, yeah and definitely. It, it's good that that's been brought up but the the way in which it's been brought up may not be the most appropriate method uh there's certainly a better way to do uh documentaries if you want to call them documentaries um because sometimes it's, they they're... almost appear as mockumentaries yeah, that's more what I take it to be, and and it's too sensationalistic. I I I just don't think these people. I mean, they proclaim, or at least the, what I have read of them, they proclaim to be trying to advance the greater good of you know, in Michael Moore's case, the United States, and try to make things better. Yeah, I don't think so. He's a he's a piece of you know what, and he's only trying to put money in his pocket. And I don't deny anybody earning a living. That's not a problem. But to say I have high morals and then to act in a way that I think is cheap, flimsy, see-through, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I And I refuse to see any of the movies he's put out there. Uh, and I think especially with that Columbine movie where he came on so quickly after that, pro- after that mm. terrible massacre out in Columbine in 1999. And he jumped in so quick with that movie. I'd have liked to beat that man about the head and face if I'd had a chance to say, you know, you got to let some things heal just a little bit before you go picking at a scab. Oh, definitely. You know, you, you know it, it's like, um, you know, you, you talk to, say, a war veteran, for instance, uh, over, say, a World War II uh, computer game or something, you know, where, you know, we all enjoy them now. You know, we're all like, oh, yeah, you know, we go around this world and, and we shoot the Nazis and, and, you know, whatever. But at the same time, you, you talk to someone who experienced and lived that and they're very offended by that type of content generally um because yeah it, it's one of those things you know they went to war and, and saw friends and you know fellow soldiers just gunned down and killed and we're not maybe sensationalizing it but we're making light of what was you know a very very serious upsetting time in human history um, and look, I'm the first to admit, I love the, the war games. Um, I don't know why I do so much. It's not that I, I'm sort of a, I, I have the idea that I'd, I would have loved to have been a soldier in a war because I, I certainly wouldn't have been. I, I can't even get blood taken without passing out. So, you know, I, I would have been <laughs> dead, you know, as soon as we hopped off the boat. But, um, you know, the, the thing is that there's just some topics that, you know, just need to be cooled down on uh, in media of all sorts. I, you know, I, I even look at, um, you know, with nine eleven, they were really, you know, doing a lot of documentaries and making a couple of films. In my opinion, a little bit too early on. Um, yeah, I still can't watch that stuff. I, I remember the horror that I felt. Um, that day and it's still a little too real for me to watch it 
Yeah. Now, well, well certainly um, you live in in the US. You, you'd feel it. I mean, when when that happened, I was actually up and actually watching it live on TV. And I'll be quite honest, I thought it was a movie with a, a, a news scene in it. You know what I mean? Because I was just flipping channels, and and this came on, and I saw this, and it just had that uh, you know opinion of, oh, th- this is in a movie. You know, um, it, this couldn't be possibly real, and. Yeah, you know, you've seen a lot of movies come out um, of it and you've seen a lot of documentaries and sometimes that there just should be things that should be let put to rest and, and maybe as a society we shouldn't dwell on too much uh, in any sort of media. We should just, you know, let it settle and, and move on. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, it's, maybe it helps it's, some people with the healing process, but... I I feel personally with me it just it, it just opens the wounds and I feel really really sorry um you know for anyone who was personally affected by any of these you know be it a natural disaster be it a, a man-made disaster like 9/11 I feel sorry for the families and the people who knew people and and so forth to then you know be flipping channels and come across you know something that then opens up that wound again it's um yeah it, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm- yeah, I'm not a real fan of it. I don't have a whole lot of direct connection. I mean, I remember um, everything started to close down early that day after the attacks. People were panicking. The skies, because I live in a metropolitan area where there are three major airports, got very quiet. It was kind of surreal. You know, I'm used to always hearing a jet plane going over, you know, every few minutes or so. Not loud, of course, but it was very surreal and... um I, you know, it, it was very strange, the drive home and, and everything that day. And it was, you know, you didn't know. Of course, there were no planes flying at all for several days. And uh, I know, I'm, you know, there was there's some governmental facilities around where I work and they were on lockdown and things just changed so dramatically that, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, it's, it's I, a little to put it this way. It's a little too fresh to have something like that. Uh, and I still can't do it. And we're at. uh plus uh uh 11 years almost now mm. so I, I i just can't still i still can't deal with it as a person yeah i'm, I'm surprised that that people sort of go in and and do this kind of stuff and um you know they're just a couple of big examples of, of what happens but you know it's um it's not always the best and certainly for people who were were there during those those uh, times, it's uh, it, it can't be nice. Now, speak- well, sorry, Kev. I, I was going to say, speaking of history, I got to participate a little bit in some history this week. Ooh, okay. Um, there was something, and it was a much more positive note. Um, I don't know how much you know about the U.S. space shuttle program and all that. Um, I know, you know, it's com- I, I know enough uh, that we can have a conversation on it. Certainly, I don't know <laughs> a lot of details though. Um, so, uh, hit me with it. Okay, well, there's um, near where I work. There's uh, a branch of the uh, Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum, and inside that building, there are several uh, significant uh, aircraft from from history. The Enola Gay, which was the bo- uh, plane that carried the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, there's the spy planes that the United States flew, the SR-71 Blackbird, and, and I think they have a U-2. I can't remember. They have a lot of historically significant planes. 
they also have there, they have the Space Shuttle Enterprise. It was the very first space shuttle built by the United States, but it was built without engines. And it was used mainly to test Mm -hmm. the glide path and how the shuttle would land. Well, with the end of the space shuttle program and they're decommissioning all the remaining shuttles, uh, they're going to be moving the fleet into various places for museums. And it turns out that we, the I say we generically, um, we got the shuttle Discovery, the one that flew the most missions into space, mm-hmm. is, was moved up to the Air and Space Museum, which happens to be very close to my office. And it was so cool to go outside. And the way they bring it up, or the way they transported it up from Florida at Cape Canaveral, was they put it on top. They piggyback it on top. Yep of a specially designed 747. Well, they flew it up here last week. It was uh, last Tuesday. And they did a flyover around the D.C. area before it landed at um, the airport near me. And I was so fortunate. It flew over our office building, well, directly over one time. And then the second time, as it was getting ready to land, after circling for a while, it flew in gorgeous profile, and I posted a video online, and I can get you the link to put oh, in the yes, show notes. I, I missed that. I must have been not on Twitter at that time. Yeah, you I, wouldn't have I been would, that time of day. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to say that. And it was just absolutely gorgeous, because not only did I get to see that one come in, but as it sounds now, I'm going to get to see the Enterprise leave because the Enterprise is going to be flown up to New York City mm-hmm. and put on board the decommissioned USS Intrepid aircraft carrier mm-hmm. for display there. Then they're also going to be moving the shuttle Atlantis to the Kennedy Space Flight Museum, uh, which basically they'll just drive it down the road, so to speak. And then the shuttle Endeavor when it's decommissioned, is going to be flown to California and put on display out there. Wow. So it's pretty cool. Um, I've been up close to the sh- Space Shuttle Enterprise. Um, years ago, I was visiting a friend that worked at uh, the airport, and we got special access to go out and go up to the Enterprise. This was long before the museum was there. Mm-hmm. And just to stand there next to a piece of history, it's pretty awe-inspiring. It was that really was awe-inspiring. Fantastic. I am super jealous. <laughs> yeah, Again, I live um, in the wrong country. We, we don't have a space program. Never, never really have. I, I mean, we've got, you know, the radio telescopes and so forth, but uh, we don't send monkeys or people into space. Uh, so that that would be super cool to just have experienced that. And certainly, you know, getting across there one day before I, I kick the bucket, it, it's certainly on my bucket list is one of those things I'd love to see. And, you know, it's really a shame that they're not continuing with the space yeah. program and, and so and forth. The, the United States is is really missing the ball there. I mean, nowhere was it ever demonstrated better than when we landed a man on the moon back. And I remember watching that as a kid. Yes, I'm old. Okay, we know that. You were born like 50 years after I watched that. But bottom <laughs> line is you got to experience that. I didn't. You know, I can only yeah. relive it um, through, yeah. you know, the moments you lived the time you were able to talk with people at the time, uh, that would have been super cool, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I, 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 I just wish that they'd do more in 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 their space program. What, what's the main reason why the the US is backing out of the space program? Is it finance, or is it yeah. just they don't care about it anymore? They they say it's costing. Basically, it co- they're saying it costs too much money. Um, they want to privatize it, which is where it's headed right now. Um, well, yeah, no, it, I'm, it, I'm very sad. If George Bush didn't go into Iraq for the oil reserves, you know, maybe the U.S. would have the money. But that's just my opinion from someone, someone looking in from the outside. Is uh, stop spending yeah, so much on war and start spending more on intergalactic travel that you know maybe we'll. Yeah, I, you know, move humans and mankind further into the future. Put put more money into science. Stop buying guns and stop fighting with other nations and that. You know, uh, I'm sure people would disagree with my view, and I'm sorry if I've annoyed anyone with that. But you know, I, I just can't stand when money is misappropriated, and uh, you know, I, I just feel that you know, money in today's society, with the knowledge that we have, the technology that we have, should be put to better mankind and I know, I know I've mentioned that on the show before uh but we're we're at a time in in history when you know we can see the errors in the past and we can acknowledge them and we can make changes for the future and we can see fantasy worlds that are created in sci-fi and, and fantasy films and books that depict a, a time when we will no longer fight against each other uh, but we'll join together for the better good of mankind. And uh, I wish I would live long enough to actually see that because it's, uh, it's one of well, those I'm just Well, hope- I'm just hoping you live long enough to become a floating head in a bottle like on Futurama. <laughs> no, I, I just want the singularity. You know, I, I don't need the floating head. I, I just want the singularity become one with everything. I don't know how that would go for my antisocial behavior, though, you know. It, You'd it, be a robot with no wheels. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I am interested definitely in the in the singularity and whether or not it will even happen is you know beyond my understanding because it is a very very in depth involved topic and I've read a number of books on it and I've got to be completely honest. Whilst I understand the basics, the details really do my head in. <laughs> you know, they, they fry my limited yeah. hard drive, that's for sure. Uh, but there's some brilliant people working on it. And, you know, really, I just wish governments of this world would spend money properly. Spend it on the people who vote you in. Spend it on health and well-being. Spend it on our future. Don't spend it on wiping another country out of the face of the earth. What's the bloody point? I just, I don't get it. I'm sure there's reasons behind it, but I just don't understand why we still fight so much. Yeah, I just think it's in man's nature to do that. So it's not it's not worth us going into on this show, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and you know what? We're not going to be able to fix it either. So That's know. right. Ah, uh, we can always dream. Anyway, Kevin, I think that we've come to the end of the show. We've had a, a few rants. You had your rants today, which was uh, always good and entertaining because uh, it meant that I didn't have to have too much of a rant. Uh, <laughs> even though I did, I, I kind of tore into Planet of the Apes uh, 2011. But I, I still think it's a brilliant movie. It's definitely worth a watch. And I'm sure there's people who agree with me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who say, no, it was a fantastic start to the reimagining of the the franchise 
and yeah, you know, they certainly need to do that. But I was actually hoping that they would continue the series or the franchise, I should say, from the uh, 2001 movie. I was, I really enjoyed that. Thought it was a good reboot at that time. But unfortunately, it wasn't really accepted well. Uh, it didn't do too well in the box office, I, I don't believe. I think it uh, I think it made its money back and then a little bit, but it wasn't enough to garner interest for a second movie at the time. Uh, whereas this one has really garnered a lot of interest. So who knows? Maybe I'm the, the odd one out. Wouldn't be the first well, one. I'll, I'll have to rent it and take a look. And uh, don't know if I'll get it done this week, but over the next few weeks sometime, I'll rent it and let you know what I think. Yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to get someone else's opinion because uh, certainly the opinion of that who we will not speak of um, and and Tim was uh, that it was a very good movie. Uh, they liked it as part of the uh, Apes franchise uh, and, and that was really the, I suppose, the deciding factor for me that I didn't, I just didn't feel it fit into the franchise well. If, if you take it out of the franchise and class it as something completely different... It's a good movie on its own, but to merge it with the same franchise, no, I, I disagree with it. But look, the same could be said. I'm, I'm sure you know people disagree with different versions of Star Trek, you know, um, that have been out there um, over they the better years. Better not. Well, they better not. You know, there's, there's. <laughs> let's put it this way: there's fans of Deep Space Nine that don't like the original series. Original series may not like the Next Generation. Um, you know, so even though it's under the one franchise umbrella, how much did people actually enjoy that that single content? So, uh, each, oh, yeah, I know their own. But uh, I'll be interested in your opinion when you get around to watching it, Kevin. I'll let you know as soon as I get a chance. Fantastic. Well, as we said about five minutes ago, we've come to the end of the show. It is the end <laughs> of the show. We will sign off now. Uh, Kevin, where can the listeners find out more about you and get in touch with you if they wish? Well, they can always use our new email address to email us at uh, gse at mymac.com. Or if they want to go over and see what I do, I spend an inordinate amount of time on Twitter, I've been told, although not as much the last week or so. Um, you can find me at twitter.com slash big underscore in underscore va. Or also, if you go over to about.me forward slash Kevin Alder, and that's with two L's, you can find links to the other stuff that I do and, and participate in online. Fantastic. And for everything to find out what I'm doing, simply go across to everydaymaxsupport.com and you've got all my contact details there. It's nice and easy. And uh, to check out the show site, go to geekiestshowever.com. As uh, Kevin said, you can email us at any time at gse at mymac.com. And uh, feel free to leave us some feedback in iTunes. We do check it. We do appreciate it. Even if it's critical, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you know, and you never know. Your voice will be heard. And if it is critical, we may even change in, in a certain direction if we agree with you. So uh, anyway, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for downloading. And until next week, take care. And be sure to hug a geek until next week. Scott, can you fix me up? Um, that might be easier said than done, but okay, who with? With John Nemo. Uh, yeah, Nemo's already married and has a grown daughter? No. I mean, fix me up with a set of headphones so I can listen to Nemo's all-new App Minute podcast.
Ever think about becoming a podcaster? Thinking, wow, you know, that's probably way too hard. Well, we have a solution. The Stoplight Network is looking for brand new shows to join the network. Won't cost you a dime. In fact, you might actually make some money off of it. So if you've always wanted to podcast and it seemed way too daunting, drop me a line. My name is Tim Robertson. I am the host of TechFan. I started the MyMac Podcasting at the dawn of podcasting, and I can help you get your podcast up and running. Simply send an email to Tim, that's T-I-M, at MyMac, M-Y-M-A-C, dot com. Tim at MyMac.com. Let's get your show ready for primetime. time.